So many people reach a point in their career where they're looking for more meaning and purpose in their work. However, many people don't know exactly how to transition into a career that makes a greater social impact. Being able to translate your skills and career assets like your network across different sectors is crucial. Our amazing guest today shares his experience and insights navigating from for-profit work to an innovative nonprofit where he's found fulfillment and success and is actively contributing his skills to be social change on a global level. Welcome to the Be Social Change podcast, your go-to resource for weekly personal professional development to help you build a successful social impact career. I'm Marco Salazar. And I'm Jen Lashansky, and we're the team behind Be Social Change. Over the past decade, we've helped tens of thousands of professionals and entrepreneurs grow their social impact careers, and we're excited to help you do the same. In the podcast, you'll learn new skills and strategies from inspiring social impact leaders who have built careers at socially conscious companies, innovative nonprofits, and within government. We're so happy you found this podcast and look forward to helping you build a meaningful, fulfilling, and successful social impact career. Let's get into it. Today's guest is one of those uplifting, effervescent professionals who you want to know, work with, and constantly learn from. Anthony Marinos is the Director of Business Development and Partnerships for Charity Water, a global nonprofit seeking to ensure all people have access to clean drinking water. Anthony has led a really interesting career, starting out in for-profit work at Zipcar and then finding ways to translate and apply his skills to the nonprofit sector. He's got tips to share about navigating a job change between sectors, how building self-awareness and self-trust has led to his career success, and some really great personal development advice. He is a great relationship builder, too, and shares advice with us about the importance of building meaningful connections throughout your career to help make your greatest social impact in the world. I really admire Anthony and his approach to social impact work, as well as the insights he shares about innovative nonprofit models. Let's get started, Jen. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys, how you doing? We're doing good. How about you? Great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and super excited to catch up. We've known each other for probably a little over a decade in New York City at the beginning stages of those Silicon Alley days. And you were working for a startup. Be Social Change was just starting. So it's going to be super fun to be able to catch up and hear all about the amazing work that you're doing that eventually led you to Cherry Water. And I think we can start there. Can you share a little bit more about the social impact work that you're currently doing? Yeah, of course. I can't believe that it's been that long. What is life? What is time? (laughs) But it's so awesome to be able to catch up with you about this. Charity Water, we really hit the name directly, a little bit on the nose there. We're a charity that helps bring water to communities around the world. And the organization was started in 2006. We're 16 years old. We're going to be turning 17 in September. So we're getting our license and we'll be hitting the road. (laughs) In that amount of time, we've raised now around $750 million. That's for both water and operations. And we have a very unique model where we've been able to take those funds and bring clean water now to nearly 17 million people around the world. And when I reference the model, it's that 100% of all of our public donations that we receive go directly to clean water. So when someone's giving online, when we're partnering with a brand, which is what I do, but 100% of those public donations go to water because we have a group of private donors that we have lovingly dubbed the well 
because we love water puns at Charity Water. <laughs> but the well covers our operating costs so that all those funds go to having that direct impact. I'm so excited to get into the work that you do and diving a little bit deep into that model. I think that's one of the always the challenges in the nonprofit sector is how do you create a sustainable business model while also the challenge of funders not necessarily wanting the money that they donate to go to operations or to staff. And you've really developed an innovative model. Can you dive a little bit deeper into how that's structured? Absolutely. So our founder, Scott Harrison, in the beginning, he was coming from outside the nonprofit space, really, and knew that he had heard from a lot of friends and a lot of connections that people just didn't trust charities. That's still a major issue. That still comes up as a statistic that people don't know where their money is going. They're not sure how to feel about the organizations that they're supporting or being asked to support. And it's never good when there are negative news stories about what's happening in the nonprofit space with someone misspending or funds not really just not going where they were expected to go. An important distinction is like the reason that we separated in this way was because we wanted to make it, Scott wanted to make it as clear and concise as possible. Sometimes we'll get criticized where it's like we're demonizing ops in some way. And that is not the case. We know that in order to build a successful business organization, no matter what industry you're in, you need to be able to invest in your people, number one, and of course your infrastructure and the quote unquote boring stuff. I always joke where I'm like, I think it's pretty interesting to get paid. So I don't <laughs> find that boring, but that was really at the core of it. When Scott founded the organization, he was like, I want to do something a little bit different. He saw the Robin Hood Foundation's model, which is a little bit different than ours because by my understanding is started by billionaires that really were bankrolling it and allowing for the organization to focus on the programmatic work and not how they were going to fund it. And so Scott saw that and was like, I think there's a way to maybe democratize that model. And it's been really paramount to our success and our impact from the beginning. And I think will continue to be such a huge part of what we're able to do and how we grow. And it connects very directly to our transparency and proof because people, it's very simple and straightforward. They know when they're giving to us that it's going directly to water. A little bit more on the well too. It's about 135 now individuals, families, and even a handful of companies that support our operational expenses directly. And so they are really just happy to be powering that. And they come from all different industries, backgrounds. Their common thread is that they understand what it means to build a successful business in yeah. whatever shape or form that takes. And they know that you need to invest in your people and your operations. Anthony, I super appreciate you sharing a little bit about both the ways in which Charity Water is seeking to address some of the issues that have plagued the nonprofit sector, such as mistrust. Every year, Edelman comes out with their report on trustworthy sectors. And as opposed to 20 years ago, when the nonprofit sector was the most trustworthy sector by far, now it's business. And so I think that what I'm seeing and hearing is a lot of nonprofits taking forward lessons from the business space, such as Charity Water saying, hey, let's actually give people the understanding exactly where their funds are going by having it be clear that everything, right? Like not that people are buying, but what they are purchasing goes directly toward actual water for people around the world. It's an amazing thing to hear about. 
And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your role in this and how you lead brand partnerships and what your job looks like at Charity Water. Yeah, of course. So I sit on the brand partnerships team. I'm our director of business development. And it's always so funny because what does that mean at a charity? That's yeah, absolutely. Term. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I was stunned when I first saw the role in business development. This is now six years ago. I was like, I know what that is. That's at a charity. Like I would love to do that. And so I am focused entirely on new opportunities, typically with companies. That's what it's really what my role started as with focusing on fielding inbound requests of which we're very lucky to get several of from brands of all shapes and sizes that are interested in working with us. So really helping them understand how we work with companies and developing something that's helping us generate revenue first and awareness second, really. On top of that, there's some proactive pitching that happens, like seeking different companies within my network, within our wider organizations network, maybe even friends, family members, and like understanding where we can get warm introductions and pitch brands on really big ideas for ways that we can work together. That's always really fun and exciting too. And then another piece of what's been happening these last couple of years is I'm really interested in identifying new revenue channels for us mm -hmm. entirely. The best examples of that, things that I've worked on are the live streaming community. So Twitch streamers and YouTube content creators, like working with them to fundraise for us through a variety of ways and engage with their communities, a lot of which we maybe weren't really engaging with that much before. So we've taken more of a proactive approach in that space which I love and am biased for because I love video games and I love streaming. So <laughs> yeah. that's like a nice little thing. The other piece has been crypto. Like it's a little bit less at the moment, but historically we were always at the forefront of that. We were accepting Bitcoin a very long time ago, much to our dismay because we didn't hold on to it for all those years. But we've since been innovative in that space. Like we created a Bitcoin water trust, which was really Scott's idea where we're holding Bitcoin for five years. And the hope is that it will grow. We don't know, like it could go to zero, the bottom could fall out of it, or it could increase. And then we're helping that many more people with clean water. But I've worked with some smaller projects in that space, like really working with NFT creators, some larger DeFi projects essentially playing the yes end game with newer technologies to be like, yeah, we don't really fully understand what you guys are doing, but like, we understand the model enough that let's experiment with this and try it. So those are some of the other miscellaneous or auxiliary things I do in addition to those wider brand partnerships. And I think one of the things in terms of your overall title, which is brand partnerships and then business development, which are two things that aren't always aligned with kind of nonprofits. And I want to focus on that brand piece, because I think that one of the things that was interesting about Charity Water, as we've seen them grow, is they were very focused on brand and marketing and really engaging their donors, but really creating a relatable brand that people feel like they could have a stake in that's integrated into your work is like when you're thinking about someone on Twitch or an influencer and they're wanting to build their brand and grow their influence, aligning with the charity water really fits into their overall brand, especially of thinking of socially conscious. And I think your role is important, but not 
so important to the nonprofit sector, even though a lot of nonprofits aren't necessarily having a role like you. So I think you sharing your knowledge and expertise and what you do should be taken in by nonprofits and thinking about integrating this type of role. I would say that it always comes in different shapes and sizes or different titles, really. But this kind of function exists. I think that's what's been so interesting about having a marketing, sales, partnerships, business development background. Like that's what I was doing on the for-profit side. And it translates so well to fundraising because it's the same thing. Like it's just what's changed is you are selling impact. When you look at your spreadsheet and your goals of what did we hit for the year, it isn't just, wow, we sold that many widgets. It's no, this many people got access to clean water, which changes the game for like how you're even thinking about your work. 100%. I think what you're describing as far as translatable skills is a challenge that a lot of people who are seeking to change sectors come across, which is I've done business development. What can that translate as? And what you're saying is really like fundraising is a really great direct translation. Brand partnerships of any sort really work in that translatable skills category. And I was going to ask you about your origin story, Anthony. Like, How did you find out about Charity Water? What was it they called to you to change sectors yourself? Yeah, really the high level on that was my career started at Zipcar where I was working as a street teamer in college. And I thought I was going to leave college and work at a marketing agency. Like I loved the idea of being at a brand agency where I'd be pitching companies to develop their campaigns. Put a pin in that because obviously it comes back around. <laughs> but I was working for Zipcar. I remember asking a professor like, could you make this intro to me to this agency or whatever? And he said, wait a minute, are you working at Zipcar, have you asked them about a full-time role? And I was a classic college senior who had not. I was like, great idea. <laughs> so I started with them and I was there for about five and a half years in DC. And it was when it was high growth startup. It felt really cool. We were taking cars off the road. There was a clear environmental impact. People were saving money. And I got pretty addicted to that fast. I was like, oh, this in-house marketing is really unique and fun and creative. And then I moved to Brooklyn and I took that job at Loose Cubes, which was like Airbnb for office space, probably about 10 years too early on that idea. But it was a rocky road. It was funny to come from Zipcar and think this startup thing is easy. The company went public. I was like, oh, I know how to pick them. People just don't know how to pick them. And then I went from Loose Cubes to grind that was a more traditional co-working space. And both of those kind of failed miserably. So it was funny too. Funny to have that difference of this was a really high growth, exciting startup to then this is the story that most startups experience of erratic growth and then ultimate closure. When I was in the co-working world, I still really like that. I love the idea of it. I use co-working spaces myself, but it was a strange feeling of who are we actually helping? What am I selling? If someone really needed to bootstrap a business, they would just do it. If they really had a great idea, they wouldn't be paying this like exorbitant fee to be in a space to see and be seen. They'd maybe just pay for a cup of coffee every couple of hours to get free Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I was like, this is a little bit of a luxury product. 
I didn't really like the way our uh, some of our members at the time were like treating each other or treating our staff. And I started feeling like I got to get out of this. Like I got to get back into what was exciting me with a social impact related work and something maybe whether it was nonprofit or just again related to focusing on driving good in the world whatever that looked like i knew i had to switch it up and then i was searching at on all these different job sites like looking up different things considering side projects of my own and i came across this charity water role and i had known about charity water from a friend who really admired the organization and she worked in nonprofits herself and I was like, oh, I think I've heard of these guys. And when I read the job description, obviously I was reading through the skill set and being like, oh my gosh, like this is like the job I wanted when I left college, working with brands to build out really robust campaigns, but it's bringing clean water to people as the goal, not dollars to the bottom line. And then there was one line in the job description that really spoke to me, which was like, you go to a party or you go to an event with 50 people and you leave with 50 invitations to dinner. And I was like, I've not done that before, but I have been invited to a wedding while at another wedding, which is a true story. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and so I was like, this feels like me. And I had no connection to the org, clearly no nonprofit experience. And I just was like, I don't know, like this feels great. I'm going to shoot my resume into the ether. And I got really lucky. I like to joke that we were really desperate and they were like, whatever, bring this guy, anybody. We've been <laughs> struggling to fill this role, but I got so lucky. And that was now over six years ago. Wow. Wow. And as you ended up applying and then going through that process, what was it in terms of making that transition from for-profit to nonprofit? And what were some of the challenges that you had with that? I always feel bad about my answer with this one because it wasn't really challenging. I think that could be a couple of things. One, I think it's maybe slightly misconstrued that people are worried it's going to be harder than it is. Like, I think that's possible. There might be some truth to that. I think I was lucky that my skills were aligned as we were talking about before that like it is a unique thing if you're doing marketing, sales, partnerships, nonprofits need that and it's directly correlated to fundraising. So that was already there. And then the other thing, it's worth mentioning that because of how Charity Water is structured, because of how we've been run as an organization, I think we're a bit different. We're, we skew a little bit younger. We tend to be open to fresh new ideas and don't pretend to know everything. And I think that helps too, because we're always looking for fresh, young talent with new ideas. And I think that's why we're constantly trying to change the game about how a nonprofit is structured or what we do, because it's hard to compete with tech or other industries that are bringing a lot of young talent into their businesses. I think it's a two-sided part of the conversation when we talk about that transitioning from sector to sector, where it's both the candidate's ability to translate their skills as well as the organization's ability to be open to the diversity of thought that comes when someone is able to shift sectors and bring best practices from another area. I know a lot of nonprofits that are reticent to hire for profit, as well as a lot of nonprofits that are super excited about it because they want to learn, and the same vice versa with for-profit institutions. In hearing your story, I think there was one thing that there's a thread between the co-working experience versus Charity Water, and that's kind of culture. 
And I think yeah. you recognize that in the co-working space, your values and what you wanted to be doing weren't really aligned with kind of the culture and what was happening. And maybe that transition into charity water, you recognized and it was a good fit culture-wise that it was a much, much easier transition. But I think that in terms of people getting a new job and or even in their current job, taking a step back and recognizing, is this the culture that I want to be in first? Second, can I influence it in any way? And if I can, awesome. That's a way for me to create meaning and purpose and impact. But if not, where I've been in situations in a large nonprofit where I tried to do that and I just couldn't move the needle from a culture standpoint, so I had to leave. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing that people have to really think about when they're navigating growing their career. The culture thing, I feel like I could have nodded my head off of my shoulders from that. <laughs> it felt like Goldilocks to me, honestly, because I didn't realize even what I had early on at Zipcart. It was a very like young, vibrant group of people who I'm still like so many of my friends from Zipcar. We are like lifelong friends and they've gone on to do such incredible things. And I think it was young and naive of me to be like, I could find a better place than this, not realizing that they had built something special at that time. Then it dipped down on the other two where I was like, oh no, this is, oh no, this is worse. Or we don't have a structure in place or we're not thinking about the culture properly. So when I, I remember the day I walked into Charity Water for my interview and entering our office that we had at the time in Tribeca, which was like absolutely incredible. I was laughing to myself about how this nonprofit somehow created what so many startups that I had been associated with think they're creating or they're trying so hard to create. And Charity Water just had it core to who they were, who we are. And it's like where you can't pretend to be cool. You can't really pretend to be nice either. I think a lot of people, it's very easy to tell when someone is not genuine. From the moment I stepped foot in the door, I was like, oh, this is it. This is so crazy. It's like the best startup in the world is a nonprofit. That's how I felt. Oh, I love that so much. And I think what you're speaking to culture, it's something that so many people strive for in their job searches. Too many of us get burned in really bad cultures. And we just want to find the right place. And so for you, you yes. got that through walking through the door. Were there any other early indicators or things that you'd recommend people look out for as they're thinking about the culture of the organization? Man, it's so tough, right? I think about this often because we, we have younger team members on the Charity Water team who have been with the org for a while. And like They maybe reach their natural tipping point and they're moving on. They see growth opportunities elsewhere. Like It happens naturally. This happens in every organization. But I try to talk to them about what is it are, that you're looking for or that you're hoping for? Because I'm like, I don't want to scare you, but I want to <laughs> warn you that the culture that we have here is totally unique. It's not like anywhere else that I've ever been or seen. And based on what I'm hearing, it's very rare. So be careful. It's part of why we actually have some boomerangs that come back. People go out, they do something else, and then they wind up back because they're like, oops, that was bad. Other indicators, though, I would think of it's it's the process. I think sometimes people, they complain or are worried about a longer process to go through. And sometimes that's a good indicator that the organization is really checking, double checking, triple checking, that you are a good fit and that they are a good fit for you. Charity Water does have a pretty robust timeline for when we hire, and it's really helpful you still wind up with some things that aren't a fit, but 
I think that leads to a pretty high success rate for us. So that's the same for the candidate. It's like a dating period. You're taking the proper time. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Whoa, you didn't tell me about that aunt that you had. Let's dive into that a little bit more in her behavior. So that's one. Another was really around, for me, I just was always, I liked asking more personal questions in interviews to people where I would try to get a sense of their culture because they're checking me on that. But you as the candidate are not often being given an opportunity to ask it. And when you ask about the culture in an organization, you're going to get pretty stock answers no matter what the company or org is. So I would often try to ask just more like fun, playful questions about the people, not necessarily about their job, but about who they are and like see how they respond and react to that. That's tended to work like pretty, pretty well for me. Yeah. But I think it's like a feeling and it's luck where you're like, I hope these people are being genuine with me. Yes. <laughs> And I think you're giving so many good points about how to like ask the right questions, get in there, kind of date your potential employer, which is such <laughs> yeah. a great way to think about it. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. And then one thing that we always recommend to people too is before you're applying or during the application process, get to know someone who works at the organization, what their experience is actually like. And I don't mean yes. like senior leadership, mid-management and below, people who are going to authentically have the experience of the actual day-to-day -day culture and share it with you honestly. So that's just one more tip to throw out there. And I realized too, I was doing a lot of reading about the org and watching as many videos as I could. And of course it's hard. You're really taking what's being put out there publicly. So oftentimes it's the organization putting their best foot forward, but it was helpful to see and understand the founding story, see all the different people that were in it. And even watching other content pieces that had different members of the team in there, that was really helpful as well because you're getting different personality types. Yeah, and I think we're talking about such an integral part of the growth and impact of an organization, which is at the end of the day, it's people. And I think when you're interviewing, you can have the thing that I always suggest is say, asking the person that's interviewing you, so what do you find challenging about the organization? And that's a pretty open question. It's non-threatening, not give me the DL on the DL, what's wrong with the organization, but then why do you find it challenging? And that's important. But I think from a person that's working in an organization, it's recognizing that anytime you bring someone in, they impact and infect the organization with energy, ideas, culture. And that's such an integral thing that you can do is taking that interviewing process seriously of candidates because they're going to probably hopefully amplify your work, hopefully, and then the organization as a whole. Marcos, you nailed it. When I interview candidates for our team or when I hire people, and I've been doing this since I worked at Zipcar, it's something I've always felt, you need to bring yourself to work. It sounds like a silly thing to say. It's gotten a lot better over the years and like our generation and the generations after we get it more than previous ones. But this idea of separating who you are in such a different way is not healthy. It's not good. And it's not who we're hiring. I don't hire someone for them to act exactly like me and have the same ideas as me. I need them to bring themselves to work every day, their creativity, their perspective. Like that's why I'm hiring them, not for them to say yes to everything that I'm putting out there. I need their expertise. And that gets lost 
on a lot of people and in a lot of organizational cultures. I know so many organizations where that's like the aspirational goal, but then there isn't that element of psychological safety to back it up. And so what you're talking about as far as the culture and like asking people to bring their full selves, but also giving them the space and giving them the freedom, the policies, the other things that they need in order to be able to do it is so important. And it's a tough equation to crack. And I think sounds to me like you've found an organization that has, and hopefully there's more and more of them coming. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to those people that naturally young people stay in jobs for a couple of years and they move on for whatever reason, and you're right, they may not have the same culture and it might be a little bit of a shock, but I think instead of it being a shock and then yes, there's people that come back kind of boomerang, but it probably gives them an opportunity to have seen an example of what a good culture is like, and you can make impact instead of trying to like, okay, this isn't good. I'm going to move on to something else, really leaning in and trying to make an impact and change the culture of that organization. So I think that's great. You can change it from inside. At the very least, you can try and you can apply your learnings and your experiences previously at a place that was great to alter the course of another organization. I think that's a great point and a huge opportunity. Yeah. And then diving a little bit into your position and your role, like one, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? And then two, what are some of the skills that you feel that you need to really be successful in business, biz dev, or kind of brand partnerships within a nonprofit? Yeah, this will come as no surprise to you, but you got to want to talk to people. That's the number (laughs) one thing. And it's like my favorite thing on earth is people. So that makes it easier for me because my day-to-day, always like a lame thing to say, but it's true, is that every day looks different. Which is great. Which is great. I love that. I have a lot of calls. One thing I miss, we're fully remote now, which has its perks, but also some of its downsides where I definitely miss being in an office with my team on a true daily basis. There are a bunch of us still here in the New York area, so we will go to some co-working spaces together, which is great. Um, But I also miss the in-person meetings with potential donors. We still have some annual events that we do, which are great, and we're looking at ramping those up some more. But our office space in, in Tribeca was so amazing to bring and host people. And that is a huge part of my role is inviting these brands into the Charity Water story, helping them connect it, connecting the dots for them and what we do and what they do. But my daily activities really include like some internal meetings to talk through strategies and sync on different initiatives we have coming up. We have different heat moments throughout the year where we might be a little bit more heads down on certain partnership activities or identifying someone for a match or something like that. That's top of mind for right now. But then it's a lot of different calls and meetings with new potential partners or brands that would support us. And those are so fun because it ranges. Like if I were to even pull up my calendar right now, I think about the different brands I spoke to this week and it was like a newer soju company, like Korean spirits company that we're hoping to work with, which is amazing. Yeah, their stuff sounds really good. It's like a conversation I had about the V Friends conference coming up, VCon, where Scott, our founder, is going to speak. So it's like 
talking through how that's going to look with them and like what we might be able to do together. It'll be meetings with some companies in the video game space around the streaming stuff I was talking about before. So Tiltify is a platform that we use to fundraise and this other company, Galaxy Racer, that we might be able to work with for events later this year. Like it ranges, it's all over the place. And I really love that because it allows for you to think very creatively and differently about how this relationship is going to be unique compared to the other ones that you've had. So that's really my day is really a lot of that. It's really centered around spreading the word about Charity Water, securing these partnerships. It's different stages too of conversations throughout these days. But the number one skill is you got to like talking to people. You have to appreciate the nuances of that, like of how your relationship build and you need to have patience because some of these things take a very long time and you need to balance that with your goals and your aspirations. Sometimes the biggest partnerships will take two to three years. So that's another key skill to have. Yeah. Patience. Anthony, as you're talking from one loving person to another person, loving person, yeah, I think you're also talking about a skill that's not only vital to business development or fundraising, but that's also vital to the job search itself, which is the capacity to talk to people. Their LinkedIn always comes out with studies every year. And now they say that 85% of jobs are attached to another person or attached to someone in your network. Only 15% come from applying cold online. Yeah. And some of the attitudes that you're talking about bringing to your day-to-day activities at your job are also super relevant to those who are seeking new careers or thinking about how they want to grow their own impact. And it has to be through other people. We have to do it together. You seem like somebody who really enjoys talking to other people. What is important to you when you're networking? What do you enjoy when you're getting to connect with people? And what makes a meaningful conversation versus just a networking call? That's a great question. It's somewhat of a simple answer or a simple thing to say, but not as easy to have it go this way. I like to genuinely connect with someone like the surface level stuff is rough where you're talking about the weather. Although a friend did make a joke to me recently about how the weather these days because of climate change is actually interesting where you're like, whoa, it's crazy. What is this heat wave? So it's not as boring as it used to be. But when you get something real from the person, it isn't just that classic back and forth and you're awkwardly standing around like if it's in person at an event, you're like by the apps table being like, oh, hey. And then they see someone they know and you're fading. You're drifting off by yourself. <laughs> so I think maybe it's finding similar interests or familiar ground that you can connect on that isn't just work-related. And I think all of the best partnerships that I've seen us form that I've been a part of, our relationship with those brands is really the relationship with the people on the other end. It's a friendship. Maybe they would disagree with me. But for me, it feels like a friendship. There are people that we are elated to be in the same room as, or when we get on a call with them, if I haven't spoken to them in a while, we're talking about family and their vacations or something they were struggling with, or like we're having a real conversation. And it's so important because we're not little robots in a room that are just sitting, working away and have no emotions and no humanity. It's the opposite. So 
it's like a classic answer, but it's true. It's like, that's what yeah. I need when I'm connected. Yeah. You're even reminding me like of a startup where I think an entrepreneurial trap is trying to go wide and try to get as many people as possible versus going deep. And it's the same thing with your network is like going deep with someone and really building and focusing on that relationship versus yeah. trying to meet as many people as possible. And that yes. actually solves a really important part of networking because I think you go and you meet someone and then you're like, should I follow up with them and how often? And if you go and you have a great deep conversation with someone, there's no need for you to really think about because you've developed that connection that they'll remember you no matter what. And I think that's focusing on that depth. And I try to show it. I try to lead by example in the conversation. I try to be very personal myself, not with TMI or oversharing for without showing them being a little bit more vulnerable, like letting them realize they can be comfortable with me in that situation and that it's going to make for a much stronger relationship. And to your point about going deeper, not trying to get to as many people as possible, like going deeper and having those relationships. We're very lucky to have Seth Godin as a supporter over the years. And mm -hmm. like he's spoken at different events for us. And at one of our all hands meetings, he said something that really stuck with a lot of us, which was, you have all the donors that you'll ever need right now. And really what he meant by that was, if you go deeper with these relationships, you continue to build these really strong partnerships with them, more relationships will come. But like you need to value them. You can't just cast them aside and think you need to jump to more and more. It's if you give them a great experience and you have that genuine connection, it will naturally turn into more and more just from that core group. And it was like, duh, that's how you make friends. Like, you usually make friends from other friends. Your friend invited you to a party because they trust you and they love you. And then when you're there, you meet their other friends. You're like, oh my God, we're the same. It's yes, because you have someone that's connecting you in that way. And do you work with the team? Do you have a team underneath you? We try to be pretty flat. Our brand partnerships team at this point is seven of us, I think. I hope I'm counting right. And we all collaborate in a variety of ways, but I do have one direct report, Ashley, who's amazing. And she was on our supporter experience team. And so she was dealing a lot more with just inbound requests about billing and like helping with issues that people are having with their monthly giving program and fielding random questions we get about the org, just generally speaking. And she identified her desire and her interest in fundraising and partnerships. And she shifted over to our team to work with me on new business and even retaining some of our smaller donors. And we do that a lot at Charity Water, that kind of cross departmental jumps, internal promotions, like we're very focused on that. And are there any kind of thoughts or advice in terms of now that you're meeting and managing someone in terms of how that's been, how you've navigated that and what's been beneficial for leading this person? Yeah, I've been lucky that at a young age, I was managing teams at Zipcar and at Loose Cubes. All along the way, I've had opportunities to manage people. And it's always so interesting. Like everyone has their own thoughts and belief systems. I've always felt that leading with kindness and friendship has always worked so well for me. When I think about all of my direct reports over the years, I have so many friends from that where I was their boss, but it never really felt that way. So that's my own personal thing. Sometimes it doesn't work for people, but I love really investing in the person for who they are and trying to 
form a genuine relationship and friendship with them because it makes for such a stronger working relationship. Not in the insidious way of like, I'm taking advantage of them. Come on, you know me, I'm your friend. It's a no, more in the like, they can come to me when they're having an actual issue or they can be open about something that's personally happening, which is impacting their work. And like, we're all humans and we need to act that way and give each other grace in that way. And I think when you develop a friendship with your subordinates, which like, I hate that word, everything is so much better. And they're not afraid to give you feedback. That is so key. I need to know when I'm messing up. I would rather a team in the right way. I don't need them to be rude to me about it. But telling me, hey, when you did this, it wasn't great. Or you dropped the ball on this thing. Or I needed your support on this. It makes me better. It makes me check myself. I try to drive that home to any team members that I have, whether they're junior to me or they're equal to me or my seniors. It's you got to tell me what you're really thinking and feeling about my work. Hell yeah. Oh my God. 100%. I'm also would be shaking my head off my neck here. I really appreciate (laughs) what you're saying. And Anthony, as we begin to wrap up too, I'm just curious to make an impact. We also have to take care of ourselves. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of favorite creativity or productivity hacks or habits or routines or tools that you use to help you in your day to day. It's really good question. It's like when diets are trendy or something where people are like, I got to try this new thing. And then it falls off a couple days later or months later or something. For me, what I've really come back to is it's really around understanding that things take the time they take. And I've learned for me in terms of being the most productive that I need to stay a little bit more focused on singular activities, not in the way that we can't have many things going on at once, but like when I'm on a call, I really need to be on that call. I shouldn't be slacking. I shouldn't be, which is very funny that Slack is that name and you're slacking. (laughs) Yes. But like, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be looking at what my next meeting is going to be. Like, I understand that everyone is busy, but you need to be in that moment to fully get the most out of it. And ultimately for me, turn it into a real partnership or turn it into a better working relationship with one of my colleagues. So I think about that a lot. I know working from home, the flexibility is great, but I definitely have learned for myself, I need to be around people more. So from a productivity standpoint, going into a co-working space two to three times a week is extremely helpful. Changing my environment, allowing for me to cut off uh, work at a more specific time and moment in time and dividing that up a little bit more has been extremely helpful coming out of the pandemic where we were all just home all the time. I'm trying to think if there are any others that come to mind. And I know we mentioned it already, but it's patience with some of these things. Like I think when I was younger, I definitely felt like I maybe was a little bit more erratic in that sense. Go, I have to, got to move on to the next thing. Don't have time for this. And it's like, you need to allow things to play out. You move them forward as much as you can, but you got to allow for them to play out. I think what you're pointing out in terms of those personal habits is just really spending some time to be able to raise your self-awareness on what you truly need. I think to your point, back 
a decade ago when we were in the middle of startup phase, we were just go. And it was really like probably adrenaline focused. Whereas now I feel I need much more time to recharge and reconnect with myself. And that ends up making me much more productive. Definitely. To wrap it up, I'd love to hear what's one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your career? Honestly, when you are brand new, to the working world and like you're coming out of school, like you have been given so many pieces of information. Everybody has advice for you. I feel like it's very similar to people tell me when you're having a child, it's like everyone has advice for you about how to parent. People do not trust themselves. People don't believe in themselves and think, I guess I shouldn't do that because that's not how Steve Jobs did it. And he was really successful. So maybe I should wear black turtlenecks and jeans and I should be mean to my employees. And you're like, no, Steve Jobs was a genius. I don't know if you're a genius. Like he was successful despite that. This is a long way of saying have more confidence in yourself and in your ability. Do not be cocky or egotistical in that way, but trust yourself more. When you're getting hired in a place and they really want to invest in you, as I said before, they want you there. They want to know your ideas. Try to speak up a little bit more. When you see something that you're like, it's not adding up for me, this doesn't feel like the right direction for us, try to lead a little bit more or manage upwards a bit. I think all the business books in the world, all the documentaries about incredible leaders, those things are like important from an input perspective. But you have to make the ultimate choice about how you want to be perceived, how you want to ultimately live your life, because work is one aspect of life. It's not everything. What great advice to end with. Thanks so much, Anthony. It was great to catch up with you. And where can people go to get involved with Charity Water? Yeah, they can go to charitywater.org. If they want to really boost my own personal impact, they can go to charitywater.org slash Anthony. You can join the spring, which is our monthly giving program. I'd always recommend people looking into that if it's something where they feel inspired and they want to support us on a consistent basis. But even just learning more about us and helping spread the word, if you can't give and you're not in a position to do that at this moment, but you see some of our content that you want to share you even just want to tell a friend about us, please do. Every little bit helps in terms of awareness and helping people better understand the water crisis because we're trying to solve it in our lifetime. And I really think we can if we get that kind of support. Anthony, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation, getting to learn and hear from you. So appreciate your time and all of the work that you're doing. Stay well. Thank you guys so much. Wow. I wish I could talk to Anthony all day. Ditto. His genuine connection to his own strengths and skills and being able to apply those across sectors is just awesome and inspiring. And I think what he shared about finding and then contributing to a great organizational culture should be one of the top criteria people take into account during a job transition. Yes, it is the difference between fulfillment, like what Anthony describes, and the frustration way too many of us find when there isn't alignment. Love talking to Anthony and with you, Jen. And I'm excited for the next conversation, too. Me, too. See you all next week for the next episode of the Be Social Change podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
If you liked the episode, help us grow the impact of this podcast by taking a quick second to leave us a five-star rating and review telling us what you liked. And please share the podcast with anyone you think could benefit from this type of career and business advice. Word of mouth is the number one way we can grow the podcast and the impact we have on people's careers. And don't forget to visit besocialchange.com for free social impact career resources through our newsletter. See you next week.